Hey Tony, can you flick that switch on the dingometer? It's the one next to the whizzy dial thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, what is that on your head, Phil? Oh, this. It's a Neurolink. It should enable me to connect my brain directly into the dingometer. Okay, if you're really sure. Hang on, here we go. <sighs> my God, it's full of stars. Welcome to the Dingometer, where we uncover the factors that produce awesome learning designs. Our guest in this episode is Rob Hamblin. Rob is the founder of the Leap Design Agency, where he uses his design sprint methodology to help companies build better digital products and experiences. He's worked with big names, including American Express, Adidas, HSBC and McKinsey, to develop innovative solutions to their digital challenges. And prior to founding Leap, he was also the creative director for IBM in Dubai. I met Rob at an event in Edinburgh and was struck by his passion and enthusiasm for great design. Our conversation led into the factors that produce great user experiences, and I was keen to learn more about his design sprint methodology and its potential relevance to learning design. And there was no better way to do that than to invite him to be a guest on the Dingometer. So in this episode, Rob provides an insight into how design sprints can produce effective experiences and shares his views about the potential value of learning designers working alongside UX designers in organisations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Rob, it's an absolute pleasure to have you as our guest on the Dingometer. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much. I love the Dingometer. I mean, that's <laughs> such a nice. I, I, when we spoke in person, when actually when I met you, um, you told me about Ding, and I just love the name of it as well. So, yeah, good job on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we, we do like a bit of retro tech. We've created this this machine, this imaginary machine called the Dingometer. <laughs> So I'm really looking forward to talking to you about all the all your work in visual design and 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 the overlaps with learning design because I guess I guess the focus of the Dingometer podcast is really looking mainly at learning design but also how how it interacts with these other disciplines. So as you say, when we when we met in person, I was really super interested to hear about all your previous work in this area over the last sort of 10, 15 years. You know, you've done a huge amount of work in UX design, visual design. Um, you've been creative director of UX at IBM, which is no no small job. At all. <laughs> no, highly impressive CV job. You, at the moment, you the focus of Leap is that you're running design sprints for businesses to help them design better digital products. So it's really interesting to sort of see how you've got to this point based on that that sort of rich experience early on of sort of UX UI. But can you say a little bit about what is a design sprint and so how does it work? Can you give us an example of? how something like a design sprint feeds into this pro process of UX design, visual design. What, what is a design sprint? How does it work? Um, I was very fortunate to be headhunted by IBM to be their creative director of UX. And that's where I have my first real exposure to what they call enterprise design thinking. And, um, and that was a, um, you know, it's a methodology where you can apply, um, you know, a process to understand more with more empathy who your end user is. And, and there's a many, um, there's many different facets to design thinking. And I still think to this day, a lot of people don't really know what it really means. Um, but I kind of, I, I, I kind of quantify the, the design sprint and the uh, design thinking methodology as a subset. So almost like a design sprint is almost like your, I always I have this quote, if you look on my Instagram feed, like there's a quote of me doing it somewhere saying that a design sprint is almost like design thinking on steroids. And that is that there's a lot of parallels that you can draw from both of them, but it, they're still processes, but one is kind of geared um, to give you way more tangibility much, much, uh, much, much, much more quickly. 
And um, so I'll now come back to Leap and, and what a design sprint is. Uh, basically, um, the design sprint is uh, it originated from Jake Knapp, who used to be at GV. And he came up with this process. Um, you can see the book just over my shoulder. You can, but your my our listeners can't. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, um, yeah, the book title is very long. It's um, Sprint, Solve Big Problems and Test New Ideas in Just Five Days. I mean, that's quite a mouthful for a book cover, but... Um, uh, it, it kind of makes sense. Basically, if if a if a company or um, a team are having significant uh, problems, either getting started with a, a, di a digital challenge, or a challenge is seemingly um, you know, unsolvable, uh, by applying this kind of design sprint process to it, it means that you you have something way more tangible um, that you create that you can measure against, and you validate it by testing it with your actual projected target users. And you can then extrapolate that data to make decisions about whether you should do a go or no go, i.e. investing or continuing with it. Um, basically, um, when we encompass design thinking into it, it means that we are also, um, you know, we're going into the sprint with assumptions because well, we have all of those experts, but we don't really go in there with any idea of what the customer wants. So we do a lot of um, onboarding of potential customers, uh, looking at benchmarks, doing some uh, competitive analysis, we do a lot of other experiments where we try and understand the lay of the land with regards to what that product means to this particular audience. So what it means is that then we, when we go into the sprint, we have what I call loaded assumptions. They're not just our business assumptions. It's like, well, based on what these people say, we've actually potentially identified some pain points that they are already having, which means that we can steer the sprint to kind of helping to solve those problems right from the beginning. And we often find that that actually just provides us um, with a much more better understanding of, of what the product offering is likely to be um, because we've understood the customers a little bit more, you know, and we have this empathy. We're actually designing a product that meets the business requirements, but also identifies against the, the customers who are using it as well. Thank you. That's, that's super interesting. And like you say, this, it's so important to get that customer input and validation. I remember um, for quite a few years, I was involved with a, a group called the QOE who were looking at customer experience across organizations and how it works, the value to the organization and all the enablers and blockers. And, and you could see that when customer experience first arrived on the scene, it was such a sort of a new concept. But this idea that you could sort of take knowledge from outside the organization and project it back into the organization, that actually that's exactly what you should be doing, was, was a real sort of threshold concept for a lot of people, but, but hugely powerful. And I, I guess that leads me on to my next question, which is, I mean, customer experience is, is just one of many of these disciplines. You know, you've got UX design, as you mentioned, visual design, product design. Increasingly, we've got service designers. We've got customer experience who do an aspect of organizational design. And certainly in my area, we, we now have learning designers. And I suppose I've been very fascinated. And part of the reason I've set up Ding, really, is because I can see that there's this trend in organizations to hiring and recruiting learning designers. Part of me is thinking, crikey, do we really need another another design discipline? You know, and I love learning, but it's like, do we need learning designers alongside all these other disciplines? And I'm, I've asked this this question of, of several guests on the podcast recently to try and clarify this sort of this overlap, this middle ground. I mean, it, from your from the work that you've done with C suite with organisations, why do you think there is a trend towards um, bringing in a learning perspective? Yeah, you're good with questions, I have to say. Um, the I, I would say the the obvious answer is that 
you know, there's always going to be great elves. And this happened um, a few weeks ago when I was at a fireside chat. Like there was a, a, a diagram on screen of like all of the overlaps. And we're not talking like three or four. There's like 30 overlaps. I mean, if you even bring in something like sound design or, um, you know, research or, uh, I mean, I can't even think of everything at the top of my head, but there's a lot. And, you know, once you have your core, um, your core design offerings and um, then um you know that's quite easy to kind of break them into kind of categories or requirements or areas of expertise let's just say but i think for companies and corporations there's still going to be a bit of a gray area for um you know we've all seen these kind of you know job ads it's like oh uh, middleweight designer required um, um needs to be proficient in uh, ux um uh, ui um is a is a bonus oh and if you can code and also do some research at the same time and um actually if you're a sound expert as well that's even better it's like these people don't really know who they need or they feel that one person can do like a jack of all trades just to kind of tick all the boxes but to look at it from another way, if you're a corporation and you want it and you've got a speciality, i.e., you know, you are creating products where there's a, a strong learning requirement um, needed. And I've run sprints for, for these kind of things as well. It, it kind of takes a different mentality to how you're solving problems because you're, you're not only solving the need of what that product or that experience is, you know, how people are learning, but you're also, um, you're trying to um, apply a designer to kind of be efficient and proficient and, you know, um, uh, super speedy at executing on that as well. So I don't have a problem with them having these different, you know, different labels, because what it means is that hopefully at some point, when a company or a product or a corporation has identified who its kind of um, target market is and what their product is, it might mean that they can trim some of the fat and go straight to the people that are likely to help them um, execute on that with a bit more expertise and, and speed as well. So that's probably how I would answer that question. My next question is to follow, obviously following on from that, but it's, it's around whether you see it as helpful. And I suppose you've, you've sort of partly answered that in terms of, is it helpful to have so many different flavors of design specialists or, or each with their own sort of language set set of sort of um, processes, like you say, design thinking approaches, learning designers, we've got a whole bunch of learning theories and you chuckle these people in and is there a danger that they are speaking the same language, but they're not in many ways. There's, there's, you spend a lot of time trying to translate between these design areas when actually we're all trying to achieve the same thing. But in, in the sort of the sprints you run, is this a problem or is, I'm just interested, or is this a problem that I'm inventing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I actually think it boils down to like the and I'm probably going to be quite controversial here, but it probably boils down to the experience of the person who is requiring the need of a specific uh, skill set from a designer and having the kind of the balls to kind of go right. We do need a person to be an expert in this particular field, and we're going to hone in on someone that has that experience. It might mean that they're not very good at prototyping something, or they're not good at, um, you know, um, to, maybe they're not a good visual designer for that side of thing. But I think with any strategy, any product, and any discipline, you should always call in the experts to help you and guide you to get started, because otherwise. You're just you're just creating something that's mediocre. Whereas if you pull in the experts that have that you know that that learning design experience, and if they've identified themselves as being you know a learning designer specialist, and they 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 can go back you know two or three or five years or so 
then it's likely that you're going to go, right, well, I think that person is going to really know what they're talking about because they've, if they identified themselves as being uh, on that sort of project, you know, five years ago, then they are going to have more experience than someone who just labels themselves as a UX designer. But of course, there's going to be an overlap because any, if you're, I mean, and this is where probably the UX designers will probably kind of be a bit more um, territorial. You know, they'll just say, well, I'm a UX designer. I, I'm an expert in designing experiences for any user interface or any product experience. So it shouldn't make any difference with it, whether it's a learning product or a, you know, a product that's going to help you connect with people socially, for example. So that's probably, that's probably, how would you answer it? That's probably, let's hear from you. I think that would be a good one. It does feel from the research that I've done, the people that I've talked to, that there is a, a growing need on, or a growing recognition of the value of learning in organisations. And I guess we've always had a learning development function, but I mean, you've probably read, as, as, as have I, the sort of the, the, the problems of L&D over the last sort of five years in terms of re remaining relevant, trying to reinvent themselves. But it feels like, for me, I guess, the learning function seems to be related to the customer experience work that I was doing. And it's it's basically the customer perspective can tell you what you need to learn. Because, you know, your customers, if you talk to them and you bring them in, sh can show the organisation, in inverted commas, you know, it's a big word, but they can show you how to join up a lot of the problems between silos. You know, you said yourself, you know, you've worked for some of the some of the, the big corporations, the big telcos, which are often some of the most siloed. And if it felt like with customer experience, it, it gave you that learning perspective as a way to join up some of these journeys across silos, but it didn't often have the budget and the, the leverage to do that. And that's where it started to falter. So it feels like, I don't know, we're coming out of a, um, a, a crisis situation and there's a need for more learning, but it does feel like, as you, as you were saying earlier, organizations almost don't necessarily know what they want from this kind of role, but they know they need to learn stuff. They know they've got to upskill people. They know it's increasingly yeah. expensive to hire people. So it feels like that's partly what's driving this, this focus on learning, but it does feel like it's an undefined area at the moment. Yeah, interesting. And I think um, certainly if I was running a sprint for this, I would bring in a learning designer um, in as an expert, because I think, um, you know, as with any workshop or client engagement that we we work with, we always work with people that are experts within their field because it's just a good way to accelerate yourself getting started. Like you're not you're not actually learning. You're you're kind of implementing with it something that's going to be effective straight away. Gotcha. Yeah, basically leveraging the expertise, and if people can identify themselves as a certain uh, expert within the industry. And I think it's good for them as well because it means that they're sorry, my watch is going crazy. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it just means that um, you know, people like know what they're getting into. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, like why wouldn't you want to know if, if there's an expert for a certain discipline out there? Okay. And that's really interesting. And I'm curious to ask you then, um, based on the sprints you run, because obviously, you know, you do this a lot with uh, different companies, different spaces, different sectors. Are there key themes that come up around design sprints? Uh, you know, if you, obviously every business likes to think that they're unique, um, but but we know that once you get into a business, they're often struggling with the same issues that other businesses are. But when, you, when you're running design sprints, are there some core problems around UX design, visual design that you see coming up again and again? And what are those? Yeah, so interesting for a sprint. So Leap will only do a sprint um, if it's probably not just a UX or a design issue. So we have other products around for that, like a product audit, for example. Um, but we see a design sprint only being used if a challenge is significantly juicy. Uh, so um, 
and it's almost like if you're going into like a new industry or a new space or trying to identify if there's a new industry or a new space where this product would kind of fill a void um that's normally where you would apply a design sprint whereas a product audit would be something that i would put in place for you know for example you know our our business is failing we've got these uh, metrics in place but we're just not getting the conversions that we we anticipated once we do the product audit we would look at it and go right well it's pretty obvious that on this screen size your call to action is hidden or you know it doesn't even appear there could be a glitch with it for example so that's where we would kind of identify a UX fix for something that would then um, impact what that original business metric might uh, have required. But the design sprints are much more grittier. They're more about uh, the actual validation of those business ideas, understanding if there's even if the target demographic are the right people that you're pitching it towards. And just trying to really, you, the sprint, the best way to really summarize a sprint is that you're, you have anyone who's got a new product or a new business idea, they have a, a million questions, but there's probably five or six that are the really tough questions that they have to answer and they have to get positive answers to know if they're going to have success or not. The design sprint would be kind of positioned to help you answer those questions. And that's all it is. And, you know, it, this is where I had many conversations when I was at AJ and I would meet with Jake and we would even talk about why it was even called the design sprint. And he even said to me, it was like, well, you know, I just actually i wouldn't call it a design sprint now because you know design is kind of misunderstood with c-suite they think they're going into some kind of creative kind of uh, workshop <laughs> no it's creative <laughs> yeah and but you have no, you can't imagine like how many conversations i've had with ceos about like it's not just about design it's about you know the business and and they just think they're going to be sitting down drawing yeah and then obviously the word sprint you know everybody uses agile you know agile sprints you know so people think it's something to do with agile so there's a lot of confusion. I mean, it's incredibly popular now. And, you know, back in the day, back in 2017, um, when uh, I first started at AJ and Smart, the book had only come out in like late 2016. And, you know, this was a relatively new kind of process where you could start getting all these kind of brains into a room and, and have rapid progress. But, um, yeah, it's just it's crazy to kind of see how 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 it kind of became as popular as it did. But I think people were interested in just trying something new. They knew that they were having problems either, you know, with siloed teams or you know, the struggle to innovate. A lot of companies, you know, there's a head of innovation, which should never, you know, that's such a responsibility on one person's shoulders. It's like, okay, it, you know, it's like, go on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, suddenly the more pressure these people have to innovate like they kind of that their rabbits in the headlights it's like well you know like i've got all these people here how can i leverage all these people to help me innovate and that's where processes like design sprint and design thinking they can really help accelerate learnings through many many people and uh, we've also often seen um you know sprints would be to align people this is for me that actually and as a designer you know i love the sprint because um you know you 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 basically start off by talking to people listening to people then you sketch for how what your idea is then you will come together and vote on it then you know we make prototypes in one day and some of these prototypes can be as much as like 40 screens you know we are we have a, a very high um you know um a bar for excellence for how our prototypes uh, function 
And, um, and then we are, you know, we become researchers as well, because we have to kind of extrapolate that data in a completely impartial uh, kind of perspective as well. So, you know, it, there's so many parts of the design sprint that actually complement us as designers. And I, I find myself often having these conversations with designers and they're like, oh, I, I don't want to process, I'm creative. I don't, you know, I want to, I, I want to be able to have seven coffees and you know, <laughs> look at the stars and or look at look at the sun and you know in the park and get my inspiration from you know feeling trees or holding a door handle to a BMW. It's like the good thing about the the, the process is that you don't actually have to be creative. It helps if you are, but you don't have to be creative to get a result. It's just about getting started. And, and enabling these people with the ideas and C-suite particularly that they have an idea it's worth you know you can share it through a very um, egalitarian process and um, in the original sprint as well you're, it kind of disguises whose idea is whose so it becomes about the idea rather than who's kind of like what position you are within the company you know it's about the collectiveness of people and you know that's design thinking building upon each other's ideas and and then coming up with a solution together. And that's why that's that's why I basically formed Leap, because that's what it's all about. You've clarified that the focus on collaboration, because I think it's easy to, it's easy to lose that. I was reading some research the other day around exactly as you say with design thinking, and although it's been around for a long time, there's still a lack of agreement as to the core processes or you know, a sense of agreement on what it is and how it works. But I think you know, you've absolutely nailed it in terms of at its heart, creativity comes out of collaboration. And, and this is where I think there's a big overlap with teaching, facilitation, learning design, in that it's, you're trying to create the conditions for learning to happen. You can't just make people learn something. You have to you have to create the environment, the conditions, the motivation, the incentive. You have to understand their prior understanding, their experience, their blockers, um, their, their aspirations. And suddenly, you, when you knit all that together and you, you do that with other people, you can create the conditions where effective learning happens. My background's in um, teacher development, so I use a lot of learning theories. And, and I love them because I think they just help us understand the world and people and how people interact and how they learn. But I, I view them as tools. A lot of people kind of think theories are like, you know, boring. But for me, theories are thinking tools. So yeah. what's your most valuable design tool? Is it, is it a concept or an application or a strategy? What is the, the most valuable tool? And what would you describe as, as your best design tool, do you think? Yeah, good question. I'm probably going to surprise you a little bit. I would probably go back to um, just soft skills, okay. uh, like empathy, listening, yep. um, understanding and interpreting. And um, then actually being able to, like, I will never be in a workshop without a pen in my hand and I'm constantly drawing stuff on it. So I would say probably that is probably the best tool that you could ever have because you as a human, you bring an individual kind of component to listening to anybody else's problem. And, um, the, you know, the digital stuff, yes, is great. It enables us to now prototype in hours, you know, whereas originally paper prototype, I actually had some sketches here earlier for a product that we're working on. But, you know, we still use these kind of post-it notes to kind of sketch uh, early in right, yeah. We're doing it now for a Silicon Valley client of ours. But it's just like, that's the best tool you've got because you're communicating at a base level um, of what your intent is. And then it kind of, you know, much like the sprint, you're producing something tangible that someone can actually relate to. And again, going back to the sprint, that's probably the, the process that I would say is a good tool to use. But, um, you know, you're, you're getting rid of that ambiguity. You're providing something that's tangible that people can get their heads around. 
you're then um, you know qualifying it with data that's actually real. You know, this that's the kind of side of things that I like. But definitely to answer your question, I would just say we as designers we are good at listening or we should be good at listening and then helping um your your client or your customer or your partner or just to kind of you know empathize with where they are so that you can provide many different solutions for them and then you're giving them the uh, the power to kind of make a decision to choose which one is right for them but um i would say probably um these days as well like miro is is fundamentally behind every project that we work on notion again is the core of our business and we have like you know if you were to pull notion from us now notion please don't ever shut your service because <laughs> my business would be screwed collapse yeah. like um uh, you know these are kind of tools base camp um figma actually if you're designing screens like um i actually did a slide the other day with actually the the, the six products that we use all the time uh, Loom as well, where we, we record everything. And I think there was one more, I can't remember what it was. Um, but yeah, pretty much those would be the kind of digital tools that I would use. Yeah. And, um, and pretty much form the basis of all of our engagements as well. But it all starts with us listening and in inputting and in interpreting so that we can communicate that to our, to our customers as well. Rob, thank you so much. That's been an absolutely fascinating whistle-stop tour through Leap and design thinking, and it's that's given, given us so much to think about in terms of the overlaps of these disciplines. So thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you for all your amazing questions. I had to really think about <laughs> some of them. So like, uh, no, really. Do my best. As well. no, really great. I need to do a podcast for you next so I can talk to you. I'm open to offers. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. No, thank, thank you so much. Sure.